0: Hi, I'm Cloda, and this is the China Chats podcast. If you've listened to us before, welcome back. And if it's your first time listening, hi, I'm Cloda, and I am your host. This is the podcast where I chat to people about their China connections. My guest today is Luba Diaz Lu has lived in China for the past 13 years and is a certified executive and team coach. She's the founder of UpThing Coaching, a coaching and coach training company providing ICF accredited coach training programs. As a coach, she works with multicultural teams and their leaders to help them improve intercultural leadership skills, team performance, relationships, and engagement. She's a regular speaker at local and global events and conferences. Luba and her partner have two children that were born in China and are attending Chinese school where they all live in Foshan in southern China. In our conversation today, Luba and I chat about life in China, how she came to live in China, what family life is like and raising third culture kids. I'm delighted to share this conversation with you. I hope you get a lot from it. So without further ado... Let's chat. So I am delighted to have today's guest on. Luba, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you for inviting me, Flora.
0: Absolutely. It's so good to have you on the podcast. Um, So if we jump straight into things, can you tell us uh, what is your China connection? How did you end up in China?
1: Um, It is very interesting. I grew up pretty close to China. I am originally from Russia, but from the Asian part of Russia, the territory that borders on China and Mongolia. So I've been in that part my whole childhood. But when I went to university, I decided to major in English and German. So I did not choose to major in Chinese. And then after i got my phd um it just happened so that my husband got a job offer in china and we moved
0: wow that's incredible and is your husband also russian then
1: he is and he's not a chinese major either so we had no (laughs) prior connection to china but we went to china on a business trip in 2006 and He literally fell in love with the country. We visited so many cities from the very north to the very south, and he really loved their pace. He loved the energy of Shenzhen and Guangzhou. And he Mm. created that intention to relocate and work in China that he found a job and he moved. And after completing my PhD, I followed.
0: And was there a long period of time then that he was in China before you could One get there? One year. Oh, that's not so bad. Yeah,
1: no, no. It was my last year of PhD when he moved.
0: You, you guys were quite excited then to move to China. How was that first couple of years for you? Did you still have a lot of culture shock or you know, difference of ways of life or ways of doing things? How did you find integrating into daily life in China?
1: Yeah, well, I guess we are both people that integrate quite easily into the environment because I grew up mm-hmm. so close to China and I grew up in the Asian part, so basically with a predominantly Asian population. Um, I was quite familiar with Oriental Um, the traditions and some customs and so it was not much of a shock for me I'd say and then Mm -hmm. we both worked full-time which definitely makes it easier to integrate I did not arrive with a job waiting for me but I found one within the first few months and yeah and then it all became like pretty much a routine, right? With lots of exploration, of course, on weekends, um, going around, seeing places, meeting friends. Yeah, so I'd say our integration was pretty fast. We Mm. did have a few challenges, I'd say. Well, I'm gonna speak about my own challenges that were around climate, first of all, because it's super hot mm. in the south of China. It's very humid. There's There are no four seasons. There's literally summer and winter. And yes. I arrived in July. And I think that was like the hottest month. And I could not go out before 7 pm because it was too hot for me and when you go out it's super hot then you get in the subway and it's super cold and I was so not <laughs> used to that that for the first month I think that was the biggest struggle and mm-hmm. like 13 years ago there were not that many people that spoke English around so yeah. that was a bit of a challenge but yeah all mm-hmm. in all I guess, It was quite a smooth journey.
0: You make a really good point because I feel like a lot of people do focus on you know culture and food and um, you know customs but weather is such a big part of your life in any country so the fact that you know that's something that really stood out to you because for anyone that has been to China maybe you've been to Beijing or you've been to Shanghai China's such a big country that from the north to the south the weather changes so much and like you said in Guangzhou or Foshan or Shenzhen in the summer it is so hot and humid that you literally don't want to be outside but if you get on a bus or on the metro or you go inside you're freezing because the aircon is so intense. Um, Did it take you a good while to get used to that then?
1: Um, Well maybe a month or two I guess in September October The weather becomes, you know, a lot easier to bear.
0: Mm. Yeah, it does. A lot more bearable. Um, That's incredible. So you currently live in Foshan, then, in the south of China, is that right?
1: Yes, Foshan is a second tier city, not far from Guangzhou. A lot of people know Guangzhou, and and very often honestly when I speak to people outside of China, I say that I'm based in Guangzhou just to make it easier mm-hmm. for them to see where it is. Sometimes I'd say, "Oh, it's not far from Shenzhen or Hong Kong." Um, but of course when I'm talking to people who are familiar with China, I say that I'm from Foshan. I love Foshan. It's um second tier city, but it's big, so it's like five point five million people. Um yeah. and the territory is huge, it's a very old city. It's the city where Ibman comes from and Man is Bruce Lee's kung fu teacher. or you know, the martial oh, arts yes. yeah. martial arts come from mm-hmm. Foshan, lots of ceramics comes from Foshan such a very traditional place with such a long history. They really love it here.
0: Incredible. So like you said, Foshan is a second tier city and it's still a massive city. It's so, so big. How would you describe Foshan to somebody who has kind of, if they picture China, they picture Beijing or Shanghai, they either picture like Hutongs or the Bund skyscrapers. How would you describe Foshan to someone that hasn't seen it?
1: This is a great point. Probably one of the first thing that comes to mind is martial arts. So Bruce Lee mm-hmm. and um, Kung Fu or Win Chun. Win Chun is, you know, what we do locally in Foshan. This is number one. Number two thing that comes to mind is a lion dance. And this is one of my favorite performances ever. Um, mm-hmm. Lion dance, and then probably mountains. We have a very famous mountain, which is Sichao Mountain, Sichao Shan, with a huge statue of sitting um, Guanyin goddess, and uh, mm-hmm. there are cable cars, and this is a big national park. Um, these are some of the most famous sites in Foshan. And maybe also some older places like um, Ceramic Street or the Ancient Kiln. So yeah, so things like this.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think it's easy to forget that there's also mountains and you know big national parks, like you said. I think people just picture either skyscrapers or a small, small village. But I think Foshan, for example, is a it's a great example of a big city that still has a lot of nature surrounding it and a lot of history. Foshan
1: is really balanced, right? And when you get to Foshan, I think the first feeling is that it's very spacious. Like streets are very wide compared Mm. to some other cities in China. So it looks very spacious.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point to make. So in Foshan, in in kind of this city that's slightly less densely populated than places like Guangzhou or Beijing, um, what kind of... What kind of living situation do you have at the moment? Are you in a kind of a house or are you in an apartment? Or what's your life like?
1: We are in an apartment. It's a compound of 16 buildings. So it's not super big, but we like it. It's a very private compound. Um, I think the area is quite well balanced. There's a big park just you know, across the street. There's Lovely. a subway station. There are some um busy roads, and there are some you know local hutongs like really local little um i don't know i don't know like
0: how old how style you know, buildings old, yeah,
1: old style buildings <laughs> yeah. right so I think we have in a very well balanced area where there's everything mm.
0: That sounds really nice. It sounds quite ideal, really, doesn't it? You have all the convenience and kind of new big buildings, but you still have kind of small town feel and older historic places. It's, yeah, like you said, just a great balance there. Yeah. Uh, So kind of daily life in China, then Um, you've been there for a long time. So I'm curious if you have picked up kind of any local hobbies or anything like that. What do you like to do in your free time?
1: Oh, I don't know. I, I don't think I've got any local hobbies, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've tried I've tried many things. I've tried paper cutting, or maybe paper cutting is one of those um, hobbies that I enjoy. It is oh, wow. something, it, it's a sort of meditation, I'd say. I mm-hmm. joined a paper cutting activity a few years ago for the Spring Festival, And I really liked, you know, the nature of this activity where you're just creating and you're just sitting still. And it's hard, you know. So you're really. (laughs) I've tried it is hard. Your (laughs) your hand cannot shake when you you, when you do this paper cutting thing um, because it's very easy to destroy the um, the Mm. picture, you know. So I kind of like that it looks easy, but it's difficult to do.
0: Absolutely. It's like the paper is so thin that it's so easy to ruin it. It looks easy if you're good at it, but it takes a long time to get good at it. Absolutely. For anyone that's listening and you're not familiar with paper cutting, paper cutting is kind of usually done mostly around Chinese New Year, but then a lot of people use paper cutting for different festivals in China. And if you see kind of any really beautiful, you could call them pictures, I suppose, that people, pieces of paper that people put on their windows and they decorate with, a lot of them are you can buy them these days, but in in years, years ago, people would have spent time cutting out these paper cuttings and they can be really intricate um, designs and they're just incredible to look at. And I think it's a lovely thing to do, especially if you have kids or to celebrate Chinese New Year. It's really nice. It's almost, like you said, you can almost meditate because you're trying to focus so much on doing it. You can't think about anything else. You're just focusing True. on what's in front of you, which must be so refreshing. So I'm really curious, Luba. You've been in China for 13 years. Could you see yourself ever leaving China?
1: Well, definitely. I think that if you don't have a Chinese family, then you you never feel like you fully belong, right? I have two kids that... Yeah. Uh, were born in China, that were raised in China, and they are fluent Chinese speakers, they have Chinese friends, they go to Chinese school, but even they don't completely feel they belong, right? So Mm -hmm. they know they're not Chinese, and um, I definitely see ourselves leaving China, but I think it's a common story. For a lot of expats, and, and maybe Claudia, you, you might agree with that, when you just yeah. plan to go to China for 6 or 12 months and then you stay for 6 or 12 years, right? It's mm-hmm. kind of, it's, time slows down and yeah. just life goes on, you know? Just, and, and you just stay and stay and stay and it, it's difficult to, to, to move out.
0: Yeah, I completely get what you're saying. I feel like a lot of other expats that I've talked to, there's a struggle because time passes really quickly at times. You don't realize it's passing because life in China, most of the time it's so easy, but you'll always have the feeling that you're too foreign for the local people, but you're too local when you are talking to other tourists or other expats that have only been there for a year or two. So you constantly have this feeling that you can't fully relate to the locals, but you can't fully relate to a lot of other foreigners. It's a really strange place to be in. Do you experience that? Uh, uh, I totally agree with you. And
1: I was also thinking about this in relation to my kids, how they are going mm. to feel. So for example, my um, kids speak three languages. When my son speaks Russian, he has a very strong Chinese accent because he spends most of his time speaking Chinese. And okay. so, thinking, okay, how's it going to feel for him that you know his kind of the the language of his family? He and he's not very fluent at that. Mm. And I guess that made me uncomfortable for for a while. I mean, we're doing our best to keep the culture to do to support the kids you know to um, help them speak the language but we only can do that much and i think Mm -hmm. i got to the point where i'm pretty relaxed with that and i'm realizing that maybe modern kids or more like these days it's not that black and white anymore and there are third culture Mm -hmm. kids which is okay and this is a precious experience that they were very lucky to have I yeah. think, a super enriching experience. I'm really happy they're growing up like this. And it's okay, really, right? So mm-hmm. I just let go of all the judgments and expectations and just let them be. So maybe there's no one right way to feel about this, but just yeah. make sure you just feel aligned and in agreement with yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you feel a lot of pressure kind of either externally or internally when it comes to, you know, raising your family in China? Like you said, language is one thing. And then I think it's a lot of work for parents as well to make sure that the kids are experiencing all the cultures, like your own, like each partner's culture, and then also the local culture. You're trying to find this balance that must be quite difficult to do.
1: Um, I guess when you... Uh- already in this situation you just go with the flow and you try to integrate whenever and wherever you can integrate right and when you can't you just relax and let go a bit um i guess i was a lot more worried about this before i had kids but Mm -hmm. after i had kids it's yeah you, you just there are so many daily things to handle, yeah. then you just go with the flow. And, yeah, you, you do try to pre-plan things and organize things. And I am a planner. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, well, I guess a lot of families manage to do that. And when you see other families' examples, it's very um, inspiring, reassuring. very encouraging. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a refreshing attitude to have. Like you can't control everything, you just do your best and make sure that you're staying true to yourself. And yeah, that's such a refreshing attitude to have. Um, if we jump into language then, uh you have mentioned that you are from Russia so you said did you say you speak three languages altogether?
1: My kids do. My kids do okay. have experienced learning lots of languages. Mm-hmm. I'd say I'm only fluent in two languages. But uh, that's still a language, lot. <laughs> uh, well thank you. I do have language learning background. I know I can go back to some of those languages in the future perhaps so for Mm -hmm. instance my father is from georgia so i am half russian and half georgian and this year first time after covid we left china for a holiday and then we spent a month in georgia was first time for my kids to to go to georgia and see the family i lived in georgia when i was in middle school and i spoke decent georgian at that time but I've Mm -hmm. forgotten so much. But Mm -hmm. when I came back for a month, it was, you know, it just got easier to pick it up and speak again. So I guess you need to practice language, but when you make a pause, then you can come back. I'm learning Chinese from time to time, but Mm -hmm. I'm such a chaotic Chinese learner, mainly because my work is super busy and it's not directly linked to Chinese, so Chinese is not my working language yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's always some somewhere, you know, at the back of my mind. When I have time, I try to go back to classes, but when I don't make time, it doesn't happen. I do help my kids with their Chinese homework, though.
0: Well, your Chinese must be at a decent level then if you can help your kids with their uh, homework. That's I, pretty impressive. I have
1: good uh, analytical skills and buy skills, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good You're at a problem solver. <laughs> I'm a problem solver, correct.
0: <laughs> oh, that's incredible. I think this is really interesting for me because a lot of other guests that I've had on the podcast, I'm, I've i had a, a lady that she teaches Mandarin. So, she, like, Sarah, she's from Finland, but she's a Mandarin Sarah's teacher. I've, a
1: yeah, I've had other...
0: One. Absolutely. I've had other people on that they they speak Mandarin quite well or they study for quite a long time. So I think your perspective is very unique because you have had this experience in China where you can speak Mandarin and you do learn. But like you said, you're a chaotic learner. But I think a lot of people can relate to that. So how have you found life in China and just getting through daily life? And how have you found that whole experience um, if, you know, learning Mandarin hasn't been consistently your priority, because obviously you're a mom, you have a full-time job, you're an entrepreneur and a business, it's not kind of essential for you, I would guess. So how have you found life in China with your kind of Chinese language level?
1: Well, first of all, I want to say I'm really not proud of not learning Chinese. And it's something that I haven't felt good about for years, um, especially mm-hmm. given that I'm you know I have a PhD in linguistics I'm a language learner I come from a bicultural family myself we will live mm-hmm. abroad so I'm in perfect conditions to learn the language but um, I'm not proud of my attitude that's uh, I guess what I want to say um, I definitely speak some basic Mandarin to get around, to travel, to to talk to school teachers. And, you know, I guess my language learning is more situational. So Mm -hmm. maybe I can't discuss some economics or big topics, right? But when I need to take my kids to hospital, I am very well aware of a lot of medical terms. Some other people may Mm -hmm. not know. I can discuss the symptoms and diagnosis and tests very comfortably with doctors um i'm more or less familiar i'm trying to focus more on professional chinese um language related to my area of expertise soft skills training Mm -hmm. leadership development professional coaching so this is what i've been focusing on mainly Um, and i'm currently enrolled in a bilingual course where we have Western participants and we also have a Chinese cohort of participants and where I'm constantly exposed to this professional vocab in Chinese Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah I guess I'm doing what I can I find myself comfortable in many situations especially related to daily functioning Um, but even before that it was Okay, if you have problem-solving skills, so let me put it this way. Yeah. I remember in 2012, I think this was my second year in China, I decided to go to Yunnan um, alone on holiday. Uh, I had an annual leave and I decided to, to go on that trip. Ten years ago, we did not have WeChat, we did not have that many Apps on our phones that would really allow us to communicate very mm. easily, and I had to do lots of research and prepare in advance and create glossaries and itineraries and lots of support, you know, to mm. to go through that. But it was very successful, you know. I was able to get around um, quite comfortably with yeah. limited. Chinese skills. So, I guess if um, you are not comfortable with the language yet, so for example, if you've just relocated in China and language is intimidating a little bit, you can still Mm -hmm. get around and get many things done. Of course, it's much better to speak the language. And I honestly think that's even a sign of respect. You know, I always try to use Chinese whenever I can. Mm -hmm. Um, But if it's not going to happen. So for example, a lot of my clients who relocate to China for work, they only have six months and they can only make limited progress in Chinese in six months. Then there are many ways to get things done, especially these days with all these Mm -hmm. um, mobile apps and, you know, digital, digital tools.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of innovation when it comes to communication and, you know, communicating can be done in many different ways. Um, obviously speech and conversation is kind of at the forefront, but you can still communicate with people, even if you're not able to fluently speak their language. So I think you've given us such great examples of maybe not being fluent in a language, but still being able to live your life and, you know, um, live life as a family, like situational learning, and that you have kind of been able to flourish and thrive because you've been able to open your business. And I do understand that, you know, your business, you don't need Mandarin as your first working language, but still to be able to accomplish so much when you're living in a country um, and you're obviously juggling so many different things. I think that's a really inspiring story for people to hear. I completely appreciate that you, um, you know, think that learning a language is quite important. And that, like you mentioned, it's a sign of respect and things like that. But I think overall, you seem like such an open person and that you are respectful. I don't think anything that you say or do is done with ill intent. Um, But yeah, I think how have you find, have you found communicating with Chinese people then like, like the example of going to Yunnan, did you find people quite helpful then?
1: I think people are very, very helpful overall. And so many people are willing to go an extra mile to to understand you and support you. I think yeah. it's very encouraging. I remember there was a family with um, a couple with a teenage son. Maybe he was in high school or maybe first years of university. Well, apparently he wanted to practice his English. And they just approached me and let... Uh, the boy talked to me and asked me if I needed help, if I needed support. They invited me to have lunch with them. They gave me a ride. They even asked oh. me if I'm willing to go with them to Shangri-La, you know, kind of to the northern <laughs> part of the province. Yes, yeah, so we are on a road trip. Do you, wow. wanna, do you wanna come to Shangri-La with us? And I was like, oh, I'm gonna have my flights, you know, in a few days. So it, yeah, people can be wonderful.
0: That's so sweet. That's such a good example of how, yeah, I think, especially in China, people are just a lot more open to strangers or helping people. Um, But yeah, that's super refreshing. Um, I am curious, can I ask you, does your husband speak Chinese?
1: He speaks Chinese because his work is related to um, local Local factories. So he has an import mm. and export company. He's an entrepreneur as well.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So, what is your first language at home then as a family?
1: Well, we speak Russian, but kids choose Chinese to talk to each mm-hmm. other
0: is there ever a case then i'm so curious is there ever a case where the kids are trying to like secretly communicate and not let mom and dad know things absolutely i'm sure this is what they're trying to do all
1: the time and sometimes you know because my daughter's russian is much better than my son's um when i ask my son to do something my daughter translates for my son like mama said this and this and this I say like, do not translate let him listen I really <laughs> want him to comprehend better yeah so this is life I guess right We're yeah
0: absolutely
1: trying to remind them that it is important to speak a few languages fluently not just one I mean in their condition right like they're mm-hmm balancing all these cultures to communicate with their grandparents, for example, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, they they choose what they choose
0: mm, absolutely. how How old are your kids now?
1: My son is seven, and my daughter is ten.
0: okay. They're at a great age. they they get everything, and I'm sure they, yeah, that's that's really that's really funny that you know they're already trying to. they they have their own language that they prefer and that they know what mum and dad can and can't understand and they know how to get away with things. That is too funny. (laughs) Oh, wow. So do you guys um, usually speak English um, as a family then? Or is it more so that you use English for work or kind of in general life with other expats?
1: We have a lot of foreign friends and we speak English with them. I also try to integrate. We'll read a lot of books in English. I'm just looking around because there are books around. Uh, Lots of books available in English and we read English to kids and for middle school, Mm -hmm. we are planning that they're going to have their schooling in English. Um, So we need to help them prep for that as well and integrate more English.
0: That's really cool. You've mentioned that like so far the kids schooling has been in local schools so that it's been through Mandarin. Um, how have you found that and is there a particular reason that you are sending them to um, an English-based mm-hmm. middle school or is it to help balance?
1: Well to, to me I think it's a great opportunity that they have here to get some schooling in Mandarin. It helps with the language, but not only that. I believe it helps with understanding culture a lot. So for example, even in grade one, they learn lots and lots of ancient Chinese poetry. So they know mm. all the great Chinese poets like Levi and, and, and all the others. And I think this is just important to understand culture. So they're not really bilingual, they are truly bicultural. Mm -hmm. So I think this is precious, and we wanted them to have this experience. That was the reason why we sent them to Chinese kindergarten and to Chinese school. Um, At the same time, I know that in middle school, there's going to be lots of pressure. So the pressure increases as you progress through the school system because, Mm -hmm. you know, the... the final school exams are so difficult and challenging. And there's just so much study pressure in middle school. And I don't think our kids have to go through this because they do not really have to pass the Gaokao. They can go to university just like overseas students, right? And Mm. I do not really want them to spend 12 hours a day studying um, yeah. So that is why just to give them a different kind of balance and experience and also maybe prep them better for whatever they choose, you know, as their university options, just to have more options, I guess.
0: Mm, yeah, for for anyone that's listening, the Chinese schooling system, you might think that Luba is exaggerating, but she is in no way exaggerating. I wrote um, for my bachelor's... I'm
1: underestimating... Bachelor-
0: yeah, absolutely. For my bachelor's um, for my bachelor's thesis in university, my topic was the Chinese Gaokao and the pressure that students are under. Oh so my- the Chinese, basically, the culmination of your secondary school schooling or high school in China ends with an exam that will determine if you can or if you cannot enter university or what. Type of university you can enter. And in China, there's a lot of pressure when it comes to school and education. It's kind of seen that if you don't get into a good university, then it becomes exceedingly difficult to get a good job afterwards, etc. So Luba is on the money when she describes how intense it can be for middle school and high school students. It starts in middle school and it only builds from there as you get closer and closer to that final year Gaokao exam. And like you said, 12 hour days, it is as a reality for a lot of kids, you see them get up at six, start at maybe 7am, 8am, and they study the whole way through till 7pm, 8pm, 9pm, 10pm, as they get older and they get closer to that exam. Not only do they have school and extra classes, they have prep classes, they have math classes, English classes, they have all these extracurriculars. And then the pressure on them is just insane. It's it's absolutely insane. So I think the fact that you are having really great foresight when it comes to your kids and what really is important, and you know, will this be something that is completely necessary for them to go through? Um, yeah, I think it's it's really great that you've considered what is the best option for them. And as a foreigner in China, you have options. Whereas if it was a local Chinese person, um, unless you are going to spend an awful lot of money for your kid to study abroad, then um, the gaokao is super important and you you don't have the option of not putting that pressure on your kids, which is quite sad for a lot of people because it's a lot of pressure. But I think it's something that's really interesting to think about and to talk about because um, I think in other countries, there's a lot of other avenues, like for example, in Ireland, even if you don't get good grades to get into a particular university, there's always another way that you can go about getting into that career or getting into that course. You can do a a different course that might have a stepping stone to another course kind of thing. Is that similar in Russia? Do you guys have other ways of getting into different courses and stuff when it comes to education?
1: Um, yeah, I believe so, you know, I haven't, I, I, I'm not quite sure it's like these days I Mm. graduated quite a long time ago but i uh, thank you for sharing your insights claude i think this is quite important to know for anyone who's trying to understand the local system mm-hmm. but i one thing that i probably want to add is that Kao is important and university choice is important not only because the top tier university grads have more job offers and better job offers but it's because they, um, because of the guanxi, because of the connections that they are going to build when they get to a good school and a good university, because those are the connections that will support them throughout their life. And in some Western societies that are more individualistic and where individuals' accomplishments speak for for themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of cultures in the East are collectivist cultures where um, affiliation group affiliations are important connections relationships are important so people are very selective when they Mm -hmm. um, choose education when they choose careers because this is basically laying out a foundation for their kids for the future and i worked with some people some employees and state-owned companies and you know those sort of companies that people spend 20 years working for and mm. a lot of people there have known each other since university went to the same university so Yeah, connections are really important and you need to plan for this in advance Say so for example when our neighbors ask us what school we have Chosen for our kids and we tell them the school's name they go like oh, this is a really good school your kids will have really good connections
0: That's yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. We have touched on this topic on the podcast so many times. It's come up when it in in regards to somebody's career and job opportunities. Guanxi is so predominant. Your connections and how they can serve you are so predominant in everyday life in China, especially when it comes to work and things like that. I'm so glad that you mentioned it because yeah, it's definitely something that I overlook because I take it for granted, but you're a hundred percent right when you say that that is another big reason that it's all so important. What I think is even more interesting is your work Luba. And I really want to chat to you about this because I think what you do is fascinating. I think it's inspiring and I would love I would love for you to share it with other people because I I can't say that I fully understand it, but I can fully appreciate and respect what you do and how much education and training has gone into it. So can you give us kind of a quick recap on you've mentioned that you had a lot of education in Russia and you have a PhD. Could you give us a bit of a recap of your kind of educational background?
1: yeah i guess i've been in education for the biggest part of my career and i'm still in education in a way just adult uh, people's education i've Mm -hmm. um a degree in languages and i've a phd in comparative linguistics and i was in teacher training for a long time and in uh, esl training for a long time and then Mm -hmm. from there i really evolved into a teacher trainer and then Um, A management trainer so I had a managerial role in education so I really loved how you can support other people with their professional growth as a manager and I got Mm -hmm. interested in coaching and this is how I came to getting my own coaching certification and I never planned on being an entrepreneur and I've never even imagined myself being an entrepreneur, especially in a different country. But I just got so fascinated with the power of coaching, I guess, and Mm -hmm. how people can, um, you know, dream it possible, (laughs) using this um, song lyrics that my kids like, Um, (laughs) that I decided to open to start my coaching and coach training company here in China. And now we do um, coaching and training services in China as well as online. So we are pretty much a expanding global company that offers mm-hmm. internationally recognized certification to people who want to become professional life or business coaching or leadership career coaches. So. They can choose whatever they want to focus on um, as a coaching niche. Um, Yeah, and we do leadership development for organizations.
0: Incredible. So you are so good at what you do that you are the coach for coaches.
1: I'm a coach trainer, so we call it a coach educator. I don't really call myself a coach for coaches. I am a coach educator and Mm -hmm. a mentor and a coach and supervisor, so there are a few different ways to support coaches at different stages of their training and as a you know coach educator i can take one of these roles or all of these roles um mm-hmm. yeah
0: incredible so you mentioned that you know you think leadership and good leadership and mentorship is quite important when you were back working in education did you have a particular leader or manager or mentor that had quite a profound impact on you? Or uh, is it just maybe from the lack of good leadership that you saw something that you wanted to change or be better at than other people? Thank you for asking. I honestly think I've been so lucky
1: with all my managers, even starting with my mm-hmm. first job that I had in, when I was 19. All my managers have been very supportive and helpful. open, delegating things, um, sharing things, empowering, um, Mm -hmm. not, you know, always providing some opportunities for growth, always helping me kind of believe in myself more and stretch myself more. But partially because I'm the person who likes a stretch. And I guess when I make it clear and people just want to give you that stretch, Mm -hmm. that is gonna be a win-win for everyone. I think I've been very, very lucky with so many managers that really gave me an opportunity to find my own way who mm. kind of sent the benchmark, what they wanted to see, what expectation they had. But at the same time, they allowed me to have freedom to do things my own way and do what I believe in. And I guess this is something that's become their like the cornerstone of my approach. Um, Yeah, so I think I've been very, very lucky. Can't even name specific people because there have been so many of them.
0: Yeah, that's so nice to hear. I think a lot of people have quite bad experience when it comes to managers or leaders in particular. So um, it's, it's lovely to hear that you have had really positive experiences and then you are also... Being a positive experience for a lot of other people, um, you know, you're a mentor or a leader, or you know, you're kind of an inspirational figure to a lot of people, and you you probably have. What's your kind of um, ethos or philosophy on leadership styles or mentoring styles?
1: Um, well, thank you for saying this. I really appreciate your kind words. I guess I'm not even trying to be an inspirational figure right but what i really believe is that everyone has superpowers their own superpowers but sometimes people do not feel confident enough or brave enough to see them or to own them or to acknowledge them or there is some shame and guilt and or cognitive distortions or limiting beliefs I, I don't know like we can use a lot of different terminology right to call all those but i do believe mm-hmm. that people many people as they grow up they become kind of disconnected from their superpowers because of the feedback they receive because of some experiences they didn't process in a very positive way because of the bad leadership that you had mentioned uh, you know, earlier, and mm-hmm. I think that the, the coach's role or the mentor's role or the leader's role, right, whatever capacity you're in, um, is to help that person to reconnect with their own superpowers, like really step back and take a look at themselves, but not in a, not in the way like, what's wrong with me, right? But what's yeah. right with me? So focus on what's right with people and really telling them, well, it's okay to do things your own way. You know, just mm-hmm. give it a try. You don't really have to um, look at others, right? Like See and l- learn from what others do, but you don't have to follow if this isn't resonating with you. Find your yeah. way and your way can be as Good and productive as other people's ways. So, there are many ways to do things, and trust yourself that you can find the way that you do things and Mm -hmm. you are being the best you. Um, And the key thing is to be genuine about this. So, not just, you know, um, pay lip service and just you know make some please someone right yeah tell them good things so that they um i don't know do something for you or uh, disconnect from reality right so it's important mm-hmm. to be genuine it's important to genuinely see these things and genuinely trust in other people and give them space just not mm-hmm. interfere with your wise advice unless you're asked for it Mm. yeah and balance it so you can provide part of your experience wisdom advice if you're asked for it but don't make it sound like um the ultimate truth so always Mm. give people options always encourage their independent thinking about themselves and about ways to do things. So I think the key part is really in helping people cultivate agency and confidence in their own Mm -hmm. abilities. Of course, it's important to have a reality check, right? To do a reality check. But um, the change starts with a person's belief that it's worth giving it a try. Mm. So if you can empower someone, like even your friend, or your partner or a child, and, you know, whoever's around, and looking for support, if you can, just allow them to try in their own way. I think this is what uh, may create change.
0: Absolutely. I think there's so much value in what you just said. Um I am curious, considering the career that you're in now, did you find it quite difficult or was it a very, what was your journey like transitioning from your kind of what you were doing previously before you started this entrepreneurship journey? What was your journey like moving from your education background and management and in education into this new space?
1: I think the transition from one career to another was not that difficult for me, and I think that was related in a way. Mm-hmm. What was difficult, and I, I'm i very transparent about this with everyone who is willing to start their coaching career, for example, like our students, um, the transition to being self-employed, transition to being an entrepreneur Like full-time to entrepreneur is a Mm. bigger transition, especially if this is your first time starting a company. So I think this definitely was a big learning journey that I'm still learning every day. (laughs) How to be an entrepreneur. Well, I've, you know, launched my second company this year with a business partner, so I guess I'm... Comfortable to a certain extent speaking about this, yeah. but it, it was the biggest journey for me.
0: What was the most challenging part of it for you?
1: Doing things that you haven't done before. So, for example, in my educational management role, I was very confident with being an expert. I was very mm-hmm. confident with supporting others, with delivering service, with... Um, helping people be accountable for their results or maybe tracking progress or tracking kind of the impact of my lessons for example right like from the methodological point of view or from what are the projected learning results and how we're progressing so that wasn't difficult because that was always part of my uh, work in education um Mm -hmm. but for example marketing sales these are not things that you do when you are full-time unless this is when you're an expert right yeah um in full-time unless you have a role related to sales and marketing and Mm. i know that this is something that most coaches struggle with and we do you know what we can as a school to support them with this to at least with their first step so for example for our a uh, next cohort that starts in just 20 days we are planning to launch a um, coaching business camp in a way to help them build a foundation while they're still in training so they feel more comfortable mm-hmm. continuing on their own but i guess this part right related to to business management business model financial model marketing sales pitching and and all this you know this Things you have to learn, unless yeah. your role was related to this before. Yeah, but it, this is exciting learning too. You can learn so much from this. <laughs> you just, you should not forget about this part of the equation. If you are great at what you do, it doesn't mean that, it doesn't necessarily mean that's going to make you successful at business because there are so many other parts of the equation that you mm-hmm. need to consider or either partner with someone who knows how to handle those things, or educate yourselves, or network with other entrepreneurs, or kind of find support for this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think you touched on something really important, is that you might be very good at what you're an expert in, but if you want to go down the path of becoming an entrepreneur, you need to get comfortable with knowing you're going to be very uncomfortable because there's a lot of other hats that you're going to have to wear, like you said, sales and marketing. And you're not going to be very good at it because it's not your area of expertise, but that's okay. You either learn or you get help from somebody who is very good at that. And like you said, another kind of avenue is that you partner with somebody who has expertise in. areas that you might be lacking um so for your two businesses at the moment do you want to give them a quick shout out for both your businesses then and just a quick um how people can reach you for either or or whatever it is that they're looking for
1: well absolutely thank you so much for this opportunity i think um we can put them in the description in case some people really need to see the accurate address but my first company is upthink coaching found at upthinkcoaching.com, and what we do is all sorts of coaching services, mainly around leadership coaching, leadership development. We have open programs for coach training that are accredited by the International Coaching Federation with certification recognized in over 140 countries, so very diverse groups, and you can train to become a certified coach, and the second company, Global Impact Teams, Teams.com, deals with team coaching for global, remote, or hybrid teams, and we have our own psychometric diagnostics, the online report for teams who are at different stages of their development, and they want to have some conversations about how to move forward. But Maybe they're not sure where to start those conversations. We can help mm-hmm. them get started with that online diagnostics to get the team view on what's happening with the team and then have help them have a series of conversations to help them move, you know, where they want to move.
0: Incredible. Thank you. Yeah, I'll absolutely I'll put the links for both of the websites and the information. I'll have it all in the description below. Um but I do want to chat to you quickly about with Is it with GI Teams then or is it with UpThink Coaching that you work with a lot of multinationals, with um, leaders within companies, with, with employees upthink. and with UpThink Coaching? Okay. So what kind of, if you are uh, approached by a company, for example, um, what are they usually looking for from you or what do you help their teams or their managers with?
1: Right. Well, first of all, there's this uh, intercultural leadership area, because I've Mm -hmm. been an expert for a long time, and I work with clients who are mainly experts. Some of them relocate to China, but others may relocate to really destinations that are outside of China. So, for example, from Singapore to Thailand. Mm -hmm. Um, And what we do is we see how they can um, adapt their leadership approach to make it culturally appropriate to help them manage their um, stuff in the new country, for example, or how they can work as a team better with people from other cultures. We might also have, you know, some of my clients, um, managers in Hong Kong or India or Japan or Korea, and they are part of global teams with headquarters in the US or Australia or Europe, and Mm -hmm. they need more help in communicating with headquarters, you know, and some of their perceptions might be different. Some of their communication patterns and styles might be different due to cultural differences. So we just see how they can adapt their behaviors to have more positive and production communication and teamwork and leadership experience. um, This is one part, and another part can be around long-term programs from 6 to 12 months where we just uh, talk to the organisations and see what are their current goals and, you know, how do their managers need to grow given mm. the organisational growth. And then based on these conversations, we proposed a customised curriculum for them that can be usually six modules and we do mm-hmm. group Training and one-on-one coaching for all the participants really on different topics that support their needs Can be coaching skills for leaders can be strategic thinking agile leadership Mm -hmm. communication skills strength-based leadership time and task management um, a lot of different topics we do not believe in Cookie cutter solutions
0: to yeah. personal
1: or professional development. We always try to customize the curriculum and for this. We need to talk to companies and see, you know, mm. what, what, what their needs are. What's the situation, and how do people need to grow to, um, yeah, to to navigate this.
0: Mm. So, yeah, as you were speaking, I was I was literally just thinking that and I know that you mentioned it on your website. It's not a one size fits all solution. It's not, a, oh, we sell you this thing or we sell you this course and everybody gets the same thing. It is very detailed and personalized and uh, situation specific, which I think Honestly, it sounds exhausting. I mean, it sounds incredible, but that's a lot of work. And I think what you do, the fact that you make it, um, it's so diverse then obviously when you're working with different companies and different teams of people and people from different places and in different situations. I mean, yeah, you must be like, do you find yourself constantly upskilling and learning new things?
1: Of course, that's
0: the name (laughs) of my company, Upthink. It's for a reason,
1: right? That's my approach, and (laughs) I'm always trying to upskill. So this year I'm enrolled in a year-long diploma in a coaching supervision because I think Mm -hmm. this is what I need for my work to support my students and alumni better, and Mm -hmm. I'm enjoying this course. But even before that, I've taken part in so many trainings. I'd say I plan... To do at least, not at least, maybe two trainings per year. Sometimes I can do three, if it's yes. if the third one is a short one. But maybe I plan to do usually plan to do once one program in spring and one program in fall. Mm-hmm. And that depends on wh- what I need. You know, like what what kind of learning can support my clients better yeah so I'm, I'm happy there's always an opportunity to give back so whatever i'm learning i'm giving it back to my students to my mentees to my coaching clients so i think that's wonderful mm. a circulation of knowledge and learning and information
0: yeah but honestly it's so inspiring because i've worked in large multinational companies um but honestly some of them i wish that they invested in someone like you but then some of the companies you can tell that people only educate or upskill for a reason or because they're forced to or because they want to get to a certain position or management position so to talk to somebody who wants to upskill and wants to learn out of genuine love for learning and knowledge and sharing all that knowledge and, you know, just for a betterment of yourself and to help people, it is really inspiring and refreshing because it's not often that you come across somebody like that. So I hope there's somebody listening that is either has found a kindred soul in you because they, they are quite similar or they found a source of inspiration because I think it's really easy to get complacent in your work. Even if you love your job or if you hate your job, it's easy to just get lazy and not think of um, bettering yourself and not just for a paycheck, but for to become a better person and to help other people or to help your own family or whatever reason. So yeah, it's really refreshing to talk to somebody that is passionate about this and helps other people. It's honestly, it's incredible.
1: You know, Claude, I think that a lot of people need to really rethink their approach to learning and maybe um, take a perspective that a lot of the skills are transferable. So if you're Mm. learning something, especially soft skills, right? Or something related to the way... Um, you think or you behave, it's gonna change, it's gonna make a positive change in all areas of your life. So, for example, yeah. um, to, to, pro- to give you an example from, uh, say, coach training that I do regularly, right? So, people enroll in the training to become certified coaches. This is the first um, goal, right? Like, this is the most obvious goal. Um, while they're taking the program, because They go through a lot of coaching themselves as clients, as they practice with their classmates. Um, They discover, you know, how else they can apply those knowledge. A lot of our students and, and then alumni launch their podcast, publish their book, start their own business, change jobs, relocate to a different country just because they've gained something or they've learned something about themselves or they've learned some skills they think they can transfer to other areas in their life. So, Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of skills that we learn and it doesn't have to be soft skills, maybe even, I don't know, like finance skills, right? Like personal budgeting. It comes with lots of, discipline and strategic thinking and I don't know kind of planning and visualizing and um, so many different relevant skills right so even Mm -hmm. if you learn something about how to manage your personal finances better the bunch of skills you learn you can apply them to some other areas in your life and become a better strategic planner a better like a more disciplined person overall, right, that can
0: mm-hmm.
1: benefit your health or your career or your relationship or your work-life balance. So I think a more holistic approach to learning overall yeah. is what's important and I'm always trying to convey this in our program. So, for example, I'm saying a lot of people, especially um those that that you mentioned earlier that have their education paid for or provided by their companies, they think, oh, I have work to do and I'm already quite busy. I have my personal life, my own interests. And then on top of all this comes this additional training that's something mm-hmm. additional, not that related, right? It's like an extra burden. But I'm always saying, like, yeah. don't take this extra burden. You're learning communication skills. So, Use it tonight with a family. Use it Mm. this weekend with friends. Use it, you know, in your day-to-day life and work. So always look for opportunities to integrate Mm. what you're learning into what you are doing. Um, And maybe there's no one for you to create the shortcut. A lot of programs do not create these kind of connections and shortcuts. Um, So you're in charge of creating the shortcuts for yourself, but you can benefit Mm -hmm. so much more from any kind of learning if you know how to learn, if you are just a more conscious learner, I'd say. Yeah, I guess this is my philosophy and the reason why I'm always trying to learn because I see how I can apply this into different areas of my life.
0: Mm. Absolutely. I think, yeah, you've mentioned some really great points. And the main one that I grasp onto is that people, if you can reframe it in your thinking and consider something like having to upscale or having to, you know, learn something and work, see it more as an opportunity rather than a burden. And it's an opportunity for growth. It's an opportunity to learn something, like you said, transferable skills. You might not be able to see very clearly how or why that is but often if you look at the bigger picture and you, if you look at it in a holistic way then you know it's an opportunity rather than this burden of something that you have to do okay um so the last part of the podcast is Our final segment, and it is called This or That. It is a very simple, fun game, just to round off the podcast in a nice, lighthearted way. So basically, it's a quick fire round, and I will give you two options, this or that, and you just choose one. It's very simple, and it's very superficial. So, (laughs) Let's give it a
1: go.
0: Perfect. Okay, so um, my first question for you is, if you had to choose between Foshan or... Guangzhou, which city would you choose? Foshan. Okay, that, that was easy. Uh, next question, very simple. Noodles or rice? Uh, rice. Rice, okay, awesome. Um, next question, number three, is bullet train or plane? What would be bullet your mode train. of transportation? Bullet train. Oh, fantastic, okay. Uh, next one is metro or taxi? Um... Taxi. Taxi. Mm. You're not afraid of traffic, no?
1: I am afraid of traffic, but I guess because Metro is so crowded and there's, you know, viruses and and the air quality in Metro. So I hesitated. Mm -hmm. I like the convenience of Metro, but maybe for some other reasons, just chose taxi.
0: Taxi. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Number five is hot pot or Korean barbecue?
1: Hot pot. Hot pot. <laughs> hot pot. You, you, you know what? Food. I
0: I'm Oh really I think uh, yeah, I'm the exact same hot pot is is my favorite. Okay, my last question then, considering now that I know that you have been to Yunnan, I'm going to ask you if you had to travel to either Yunnan again or uh, let me think or Hangzhou. Which one would you choose? Yunnan. Yunnan. Okay, I like so I
1: like so many different cities in China, but Yunnan, mm-hmm. um, for the cultural reasons and also hiking and
0: all the beautiful nature that they have, Yunnan definitely. Yeah. It's a great choice. Fantastic. Awesome. Okay, that's all the questions for today. Uh, Luba, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I will have the links to Luba's two companies in the show notes below as well as some more information about her. But thank you so much for joining me on the podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Chloe. It was such a pleasure to talk to you.
0: That conversation has given me a lot to think about. I don't know about you, but I hope it did too. I want to thank Luba so much for joining me. I've really enjoyed recording this week's episode of the podcast. If you have also enjoyed listening, uh, we would be so grateful if you could review the podcast and give us five stars. We will be back again next week with the next episode of the China Chats podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I've been Cloda and see you next week.